Welcome, welcome, one and all, to another new episode of the What the Niche podcast. And as always, I am your host, Andrew Morris. It's great to be back, and I am really excited to share today's episode with you. Before we get into the chat, I'd like to share a couple quick pieces of information with you. First, please don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and family. There are some big things coming down the pipeline, including an interview with a former NHL player next week, and I want to share the these wonderful conversations with as many people as possible. Second, I'd like to remind you to visit any of your podcast hosting platforms and check out the newest show on What the Podcast Network called What the Skit. It's a sketch comedy show which is likely to bring some laughter into your life. Lastly, two of our former guests are returning with new seasons of their own podcasts. Mitch Embry is returning with new episodes of his delightful show called Just Friends. And Dawson Richard is back to help ruin your sleep patterns at night with a terrifyingly interesting podcast called The Void Frequency. Links for both of those podcasts can be found in the guest credits section of this episode. That's all the news I got for you this week. As always, I appreciate everyone who continues to listen. So without any further delay, it's on to this week's episode. In this week's episode, we are bouncing right into the world of coaching high school basketball. Once upon a time, there was a young basketball player who had dreams of becoming one of the greatest basketball players of all time. My name is Kobe Bryant. I'm 17 years old. With the hunger, the motivation and a desire to be the best possible basketball player that I could be. He worked day and night, every day, for years and years and years and years and years. As time went on, 20 years had passed, and he felt that he had accomplished all that he set out to accomplish. But what he come to realize is that the goal that he set out initially of becoming the greatest of all time was a very fickle one. And when he realized that the most important thing in life is how your career moves and touches those around you and how it carries forward to the next generation. But he realized that's what makes true greatness. But the story would be about transformation of a kid looking inwardly to then growing up and understanding the importance and the power he's looking out with. It's a great feeling to know that you set a goal for yourself. And you were able to reach that goal and to not get that. If I had the power to turn back time, I would never use it. I don't think about it. Because then every moment that you go through means absolutely nothing, but you can always go back and do it again. So it loses its flavor, it it's loses its, its beauty. When things are final, you know, moments won't ever come again. To be able to have the power to go back and re-experience those things is, it's silly to me. When you take that jersey off for the final time, how do you think you're gonna feel? 
very at peace with it, and um, I'm very thankful, you know, for the for the 20 years that I've had, and um, you know, ready to go. The sounds of the illustrious swish fill the gym. Cheers of the crowd echoing off the hardwood. The buzzer sounds, and one team basks in victory, while the other suffers the pangs of defeat, resonating connections to the struggles we all face, life imitating the issues on the court. Oftentimes we may feel trapped in a corner, and we turn over our power to the oppositions of the world. Feeling helpless, forgetting we can take a time out. We miss out on open shots. Our attempts at success are blocked as we near our goals. There are even times when we feel as though things have been stolen from us. And despite these blunders, you can find support through it all. A coach waits there on the sidelines shining like a beacon, always there to guide you to shore. On and off the court, these lighthouse keepers are there to illuminate a path. In one moment, they may act as a mentor by correcting your technique or your approach. And the next, they may act as a parent and kick you in the ass to motivate you. In other moments, they act as the tough mediator and let you figure it out for yourself. Sometimes, they act as your makeshift therapist, as your tears soak their shoulders. No one person is responsible for all their failures or all of their success. Bonds forged with those standing beside you in the heat of battle persist through many a dark trail, providing compasses for the struggles, one burpee or jumping jack at a time. Tenacity and courage built along the way. War within ourselves never truly fought alone. As relentless voices over your shoulder shout encouragement. And life we encounter hundreds of coaches. While the outcomes of every game may be different, there is always someone there to steer you in the right direction. Never fear when you fall. Never quit when you fail. Never forget when you're flat on your back, there are a thousand hands there to help pull you up. You just have to be willing to accept when the time comes to reach out your hands and let them assist in getting you back on your feet. And this brings me to my guest today, Kevin Geary. He is a husband, father, friend, teacher, and a high school basketball coach. During our chat, we discuss the many hats coaches and teachers truly wear as they navigate the world of molding young minds. We both express our feelings about how the world has changed during our lifetimes and how we can manage to continue to have a positive impact amidst that constant change. 
Overall, I think Kevin is leaving a positive mark on the world by changing the lives of one player at a time. The world's a big place, but I think Kevin has managed to find a way to shine the beacon of hope for many in his little corner of the globe. I thought our conversation was uplifting and fun, and I hope all of my listeners enjoy it as well. So I'm Kevin Geary. I am a ECE teacher at Doss High School. I'm also the varsity assistant basketball coach. Um, I've been coaching for 11 years now, I think. Um, I'm actually kind of a veteran. Even even at the age of 31, I'm kind of a veteran in, in JCPS. I started subbing when I was 19 years old. So, you know, I've seen a lot of things, done a lot of things, worn pretty much every hat in the building in a school building that you could possibly wear. Um, and, and I've, you know, learned a lot of things coaching and hopefully I can learn a little bit more along the way and help some more, help some more players get to get to college and kind of achieve their dreams. That's kind of, kind of what my mindset is now. Um, I think that's really important. You know, um, we teach at the same school and uh, that, that's how we become friends. We're both at Doss high school here in Louisville. Uh, and, you know, I can definitely see a dramatic change in, in the, the dynamic of the relationship with players and uh, the dynamic of how we're playing as a, uh, you're the basketball, the assistant basketball coach for our varsity team uh, at Doss. And I could see how those things have changed dramatically uh, in just a year that you've been there. So I think you're, you're taking things in the right direction. And, you know, I tell you that all the time. Yeah. I appreciate that. Just trying to do my best. Yeah. You're killing it. I think you're doing great. And I think the players (laughs) appreciate it too. Um, Well, we're going to dive right into this, man. Like I know you, uh, he's a avid listener of the podcast. I appreciate him. Uh, he talks to me about it all the time and I was like, dude, let's have you on. And, uh, we already did it once. It's just so my <laughs> listeners know, uh, cause I think it's funny. He is the first of a mistake that I made. Um, I used the wrong microphone. That's the one that's on my camera, uh, rather than the, you know, the really nice sure SM seven B that I have. That's, you know, my baby, uh, I told him I sounded like a ghost in the hallway on the recording. <laughs> and that was like, I can't use this. So we're hopefully trying to catch uh, magic in a bottle again because uh, our first conversation was awesome. So we, we got this. We got yeah, this. I think so. <laughs> so we're going to kick this right off. Um, uh, my listeners know if you've had any any uh, opportunity to check out any of the other episodes, we try to lay to rest some misconceptions. And I, I think is it's much like teaching. I think I think there's a lot of things that people don't understand about coaching and some of the things that go on behind the scenes. So how can you lay to rest some of those misconceptions people might have? Uh, well, I think the biggest misconception, at least for, for high school basketball is that high school coaches don't teach. Uh, I think there's this real like notion that, you know, we show up at whenever we want to and, and we just kind of go throughout our day and we go coach basketball and then we go home and we're collecting a check along the way. And that's, you know, I mean, you, you've seen me work like that couldn't be more from, from the opposite. You know, I get up at 
five, six o'clock in the morning when we're in school. Of course, we're in NCI right now, but you know, on, on a, on a so normal. So he wakes up at the butt crack of noon. Don't let him lie to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, so on a, on a normal day, if we're in school, you know, during the season, I mean, it's five, five or five thirty, And, you know, usually I'm in the gym by six working somebody out or at least setting the gun up, setting the shooting machine up so that they can get some shots up in the morning. And, uh, you know, while they're doing that, I'm watching film on, on us, maybe our next opponent, something like that. Um, by about seven o'clock, I switch into teacher mode and I start preparing the, you know, whatever tying in the loose ends for my lessons for that day, making whatever copies I need. And then, you know, I, I teach from seven forty to two twenty, like, like everybody else does in the building. Um, and then once, once that day's over, <clears throat> once that teaching day's over, we hop right into practice. We're usually on the floor by two forty-five or three o'clock and varsity practice will be from three to five JV practice from five to six 30 freshman practice from six 30 to seven 30. And then, you know, and then we finally get to go home if we don't have anybody to take home, you know, uh, I, I think that, the, you know, I don't think a, a lot of people really understand the the sacrifice that is required to coach basketball, especially in Louisville. Um, I think a yeah. key point on that, uh, you know, I talked to uh, our director of uh, educate or uh, athletics at our school, and he was trying to recruit me because we needed coaches for baseball and stuff like that. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be crappy here, but what's it pay? You know, and then you start breaking down. Like, I think they said, "What do you make? Like fifty cents an hour?" If you figure in all the hours yeah, so, and everything that so you do. So when I was what, what, my second year coaching, I coached it more. Um, and God bless my wife; she started dating me when I was coaching it more. And more is clear across town from where we were living at the time. Um, and I would. I was still in school, so I would go either to work during the day uh, and get off at 2.30 or 3 o'clock or go to school during the day, and I would be at Moore by, um, you know, 3, 3.30. We would start varsity practice until 5, and then I had freshman practice from 5.30 until 7 o'clock every single night. And there were frequently times when – you know, I was waiting on rides and, you know, people would get picked up at eight o'clock. And then finally I would call my girlfriend at the time and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm finally leaving. You know, where do you want to go eat? Um, and there used to be this like, like fire Chinese place in the Jefferson mall. And we ate there more than I sample, <laughs> more than I would care. <laughs> that place, the sample, sample lady, sample, yeah, sample, yeah. sample, sample. Yeah. She that, was hot fire, place. dude. I should have yeah. recorded her and put her on a track somewhere. Yeah, she would, and, and we like we ate there all the time because that was the closest place to eat, and we would just meet up there. Um, but you know, and and, and I think w- when I was at Moore, we we like compiled all of our stipends, which just so that everybody is aware, a head coaching stipend for basketball is a whole seventy five hundred dollars. Like it's not a lot of money, so. Uh, and, and I would say that 95% of the coaches in Louisville take their stipend and put it back into the program anyway, either buying team meals or uh, helping pay for 
who, all of all kinds of assortment of things. Um, but when, when I was at Moore, we took all of our stipends, put them together, and we like logged. Our head coach gave us a log. Like anytime you're doing something basketball, write it down. And he like put it all together, and it came out between all of our coaches once it averaged out to I think about 12 or 13 cents an hour. <laughs> what we were making to coach basketball. So neat. You you were basically uh, making iPhones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty That's, much. That's exactly what we were doing. Wow. Yeah. So, man, that's – so why? Why do you do it? I mean, it because it's, you know, that's the relationships that you build and it's it's the opportunities that you give these kids because, you know, honestly, if it weren't for – if it weren't for me, there's at least I could name three or four guys right now that have played in college or overseas professionally um, that more than likely would not have had that opportunity if I weren't around them. Uh, and, you know, we've got a couple we've got a couple players in our program right now that got colleges all over them, and you know, if not for the relationship that we have. Um, with each other and and the relationship that I've kind of built with these coaches over the course of 10 or 11 years coaching, like those opportunities wouldn't come around. Um, You know, and, and my thing was always, um, uh, you know, I I coached with Casey Gooden for a really long time and he, he always told me like your number one goal as a coach or a teacher or mentor or whatever, whatever you want to call yourself. Um, you know, whatever hat you're wearing that day um, is to leave things better than you left it. Like, like that's your number one goal. You always want to leave, leave it better than you left it. So, you know, when I get a kid as a freshman that's got nothing, whose mom can barely afford the car she's driving, you know, my job is to leave them better than they have, you know, and the only way that I know how to do that is to make them as good a basketball player as they can make sure that they stay on top of their grades so that one day they can sign a scholarship and go play basketball while getting their education paid for. You know, and, and that really is to, you know, that's my mission. And I, I tell parents that all the time. I'm like, look, it don't, it don't matter where your son goes to school. He's going to be a really good basketball player, but I promise you if he comes to place for me, he's going to go to college and he's going to have that paid for by the time he leaves. And that's my, that's my goal. Like I, I, I've, I tell people all the time, I, I coached at Shawnee for one year. I was the head coach and I had more athletes go play college basketball than I did wins. And, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Like we only won six games that year, but all seven of my seniors went to college. All seven of my seniors played basketball. Um, you know, a, a couple of them ended up dropping out, but you know, I can't, I, I don't have a whole lot of control over what they do with that opportunity. Um, you know, but I'm just I'm I'm kind of the middleman to facilitate that opportunity, and 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 ultimately that's my goal is you know if if you're with me for four years, um, you're you're going to college for free. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's incredibly important to have somebody who is a realistic guide, kind of putting people in, and putting things in perspective. You know, maybe you're not going to be the next Kobe. Maybe you're not going to be the next LeBron because, you know, those people were freaks. 
you know, in the most positive way, you know, and they just happen to have a wonderful build for, you know, the sport, you know, and they just happen to get, it was luck in a lot of ways, you know, they had the right people surround them. They caught the right breaks early. They developed uh, positive habits with their shooting before they could ever mess it up, you know, so they were learning the right way from the beginning. Um, But, you know, directing people into directions that are maybe more realistic. So saying you're going to go to college, you're going to play basketball to do that, get a free education out of it at the least. And then you can take those opportunities and use them how you want. I, I talk about that in my classroom all the time. I teach um, the, the appreciation of the arts, humanities. And I, I tell my kids, I'm like, you might not be the next Picasso. You might not be the next Kanye. You might not be, the next Barishnikov, uh, whatever art that we're talking about, you might not be the next great at that thing, but you can find a job in that if you like it. Absolutely. So if, if you want to be in theater, you don't have to be an actor. If you, if you don't like being in the limelight, there's a lighting guy, there's a sound guy, there's costume designer, there's set designer. There's 52 different people that you never see on that stage that are making that thing happen. Yep. So you can find your place. And I think it's really crucial to talk about that in sports, you know, saying yeah. you can find your place. There's what 8,000 colleges across the country and maybe like 10,000 or 12,000 if you're considering junior colleges and so on and so forth. So they can find their place. Yeah. And, and that's what, and that's the big thing that, that I try to talk to my kids about, like, you know, you, you can sit here and tell me all day that you're a division one player, but, if you don't have a division one school calling you, you're not a division one player. Sorry. Because at the end of the day, if you were a division one player, they would find you. Oh, for sure. Um, so that's their full-time job. They have people who are solely scouting players who pass it along to these head coaches. Do they think these head coaches are out looking at those 10,000 schools while they're also coaching a D (laughs) one team? No, fuck no. Yeah. You know, so, so, and, and, but what I like to, what I like to, you know, talk to my kids about is like, you know, what do you want to be? Like, if you can't be a basketball player, what do you want to be? And, you know, naturally 90% of them will say, I want to be a business person. I want to op- open my own restaurant. I want to open a, a rap studio. I want to own my own business, whatever the case, you know, whatever my business is, I want to own my own business. Well, okay. Here's what I can do for you through basketball. I can get you to a junior college where you get your associate's degree. That junior college will then get you to an NAI school. You then go to that NAI school, four years of eligibility, get your bachelor's degree in two years, get your master's degree in two years. You've played basketball for six years. You've got a master's in business and you are debt free. What else do you want? Like what more could you ask for out of the game of basketball than to have that, you know? And, and when they think about it in terms of that, uh, I think, you know, the light kind of goes off and they're, and they will start taking their education a lot more seriously because as you know, you know, 3.0s and 22s on ACTs don't come by very easily. So. Yeah, that's true. Especially, you know, and it's, Oftentimes, I really think it's unfair. Like what we do as a society as a whole, we expect everybody to be great at everything. Yeah. 
And and sometimes like <laughs> when you hear about certain people doing things, uh, there was a comedian who talked about Ray Rice. And if anybody's familiar with that situation, it didn't go great. Um, right. <laughs> he ended up assaulting his girlfriend in an elevator and it was all bad. And uh, Daniel Tosh had a really funny bit on it. He's like, why are y'all mad? He just footballed at the wrong time. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's kind of messed up to say that. But yeah, like it's we true, expect though. these people to be these athletes to be absolute geniuses in the classroom. Like uh, he's a three point five student. It's very rare that that happens. And yep. you also expect him to get in front of the cameras. Well, I pay him millions of dollars. He should be able to get in there and articulate. Should he? He's right. a really great running back. Does he also have to be a really great public speaker? Like, why is that a thing that we expect? Not to go off on, a, on too much of a tangent, oh, but well, I, and, I think that but, relates. But you're, but you're right because, um, you, know, you know, like you think about the majority of basketball players in the NBA right now did not graduate from from whatever college they went to. Right. You know, they, they all left early and, and and a lot of them will go back. But when they get to the NBA, you know, they, they don't have a they don't have a publicist. They don't have right. a they don't have somebody telling them, you know, to to, you know, manage your money and stuff like that. Like like that's the that's the lifestyle that they that they want to live. And to me, I've always been uh, of the mindset, like if that's the lifestyle they want to live, let them live it like they got there. They did the work to get to that point. They can spend their money however the hell they want to. Yeah. You know, I personally would not go spend $20,000 at a strip club, but if Floyd Mayweather wants to do that, <laughs> let him fucking do it. Who cares? Yeah, it's his life. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, I mean, I, I do think at a certain point, because realistically, you talk about it. We talked about this the other day when we were talking about some of the new UK players that were showing yeah. up on campus 17 years old and yeah. people were being hypercritical, you know, these kids not playing or these kids not playing up to the the level that was expected. Well, <laughs> like you're a kid, right. man. Again, not everybody's a, a LeBron or a Kobe who can come right out of high school and play at an NBA level or even a D1 level. The game is yep. so dramatically different. And those kids, it's a major learning curve. And there's so many factors that play in into that. But the point that I was trying to get at is a lot of those kids that are coming into the NBA are just that. They're still kids. Yeah. They're yeah. 19, they 20 are. years old. You're still a child. Like realistically, we know scientifically that your brain doesn't fully for form and function till you're 25. You know, so it's like you know, they're, they're signing these multi-million dollar deals and, you know, getting more money than any one person maybe should. <laughs> and, you know, they're like, they just start wilding out and it's exactly. hard not to, you know, especially if you come from situations where you had jack shit, you yeah, know, you got nothing. Yeah. And so you go from that and you don't have those structures in place to understand, you know, how to protect your money and, and so on and so forth, you know, and, I think that it would be beneficial. Let them go in and do a little bit, you know, say, Hey, take half the money, go do your crazy shit that you want to do. And then I'm going to take this other half and make sure that you're not broke when you're 60. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and unfortunately um, there's, there's a like a viral clip on YouTube and it, it floats around on Twitter every now and then 
of Herm Edwards speaking at the NFL Rookie Symposium. And I don't know if you've ever seen this video, uh, but basically um, the, the, he said the biggest piece of advice, it's at the end of his speech, and he says the biggest piece of advice that I can give you all is to, you know, whatever your signing bonus is, if it's more than a million dollars, he said take $100,000, put it in the bank, and give somebody that you trust the rest of it. And he's like, and don't touch it. He's like, because I got news for you. You can only live in one house. You can only drive one car. It's like, and I promise you, no matter how cool they look, you don't need a yacht. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, like you laugh at that stuff, but it's like, it's so true, you know, but it, it's the, you know, the, the culture uh, of, professional athletes and and the culture that they're around you know if you're rich you have to show people that you're rich yeah um you know and uh, there's a there's a line in a jay-z song that that in one of his newest albums where he's like you know what's what's more important than than blowing 20 20 thou at a at a strip club and it's like it cuts to silence and he says credit <laughs> and, and I, like that that line and that song it's just, like it just you know it, it it it's simple but it just you know and he goes on to talk about i'm trying to give you all free advice but you're not listening and all this stuff and i'm like i wish my kids would listen to this you know I wish my players would listen to this but yeah that's not the cool thing right having good I, credit's not the cool thing having uh, well the cool thing is to listen to Blueface who can't rap on beat and uh, <laughs> like I'm sorry, bro. If you ever get around don't to hearing this for whatever weird reason, yeah, don't um, bring him in here. Just not, just not a big fan, man. You do you though. Uh, did you see he painted his house camo? No, I, I yeah, I his mansion is painted in blue, black, and gray camo. I hope he doesn't ever try to sell it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, it would have been worth 13.5 million, but the paint job, it's not only worth four. Uh, good job. <laughs> good luck to you. <laughs> you better call um, Chip. <laughs> Chip Gaines. Get him in here. Yeah. <laughs> get, so, get some extreme home makeover on that. Right. No doubt. Um, so uh, we had talked about this the last time, and you, you had a really unique uh, thoughtful perspective because you've been in the game for 11 years. And like you said, you know, you only being uh, 31, I mean, you, you got some, some time in. So I'm curious to hear your breakdown of how exactly you think uh, basketball and coaching in general has changed over the last 11 years. Uh, well, there, you know, and my response the first time was that, you know, kids are kind of the same, you know, over, over the last 10 years, like the, the stuff they listen to, yeah, it changes. Maybe a couple of them got a, a couple more of them have some attitude, but you know, for the most part, kids haven't changed. Um, but what has changed um, and what is kind of driving this like instant gratification society that we live in uh, is, is it's the money that's involved, you know, and back in the nineties, it was unheard of for dudes to make five or $10 million in the NBA. You know, now every team has a super max guy, you know, that makes 35 million, every team. Yeah. You know, um, you know, every team has, um, 
a vet minimum. You know, if you're in the, if you play in the NBA for, I think it's seven years, um, um, teams have to sign you to the vet minimum. You're considered a veteran at that point. And the vet minimum is $1.3 million. You know, so the, the last guy on the bench of an NBA team that probably never plays is making $1.5 million. You know, so so to to kind of put that in perspective, like that is what is really driving this notion that I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to put whatever money I have to into turning my son or daughter into an NBA or WNBA player. You know, that that's what's driving this whole thing, in, in my opinion, because, you know, Jordan had his shoe deal when he was coming up and, and, and when, when he was in his heyday, but you know, nobody was making a million and a half to sit on the bench and never play. Yeah. And that's what their salary is. You know, nobody was making a supermax contract on top of my $60 million Nike deal. Right. You know, and it's, and, and you just think about like, uh, I think it was Deandre Ayton signed with, um, ASICs or something like that, like some random shoe company because they were trying to get in on the NBA's money. You know, an NBA league pass has, you know, probably tens of millions of subscribe of subscribers for $210 a year. And, and, and the NBA teams have revenue sharing. They all share that money. You know, these, these TV contracts are, are astronomical. Yeah. You know, you even, you could, you could even look at the NFL. You know, NFL TV contracts are insane. Right. And, and, you know, and the NFL finally realized that they were losing money paying first round draft picks seven years, 70 million over seven years. So they smartened up to that. But still, if you're a first round draft pick in the NFL, you're, you're making at least $10 million off the bat. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're a lottery pick in the NBA, you know, you're making five to $10 million off the bat. Which is chump change compared to MLB, <laughs> right? And, <laughs> Which is and and I think I always that, bring that up to our students, you know, because in our that's in, where in the Dallas, money is. yeah, we need baseball players, and they're like, yeah, I'm just trying to get on track to this money, blah 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 blah. And I'm like, hey, you know yeah. what the uh, the highest athletic um, pay payout went in what sport? The three hundred yeah. million dollar deal that just went down. I'm like, you know what sport yeah. that was? Not basketball. Like, yeah, like if you want to chase all. that money, dude, start swinging a bat. Like, I mean, if that's your only goal, if you don't and, love the game and you're just yeah. trying to make that hustle, start swinging a bat. Learn and, to catch and that's, ball. And that's the thing that that kind of separates Major League Baseball right now is that they're the only one that doesn't have revenue sharing. Mm-hmm. So the Yankees can, as long as that happens, as long as they don't have revenue sharing, the Yankees will always be the Yankees and the Dodgers will always be the Dodgers. You yeah. know, <clears throat> it's the reason that the Dodgers last year signed Mookie Betts to a 10 year, $330 million contract. And then this year can sign Trevor Bauer to a three year, $125 million contract, you know, because they don't have to share any of their money. Right. Um, you know, and, and for the most part, revenue sharing kind of balances the out the, the, the competitiveness. Yeah. Um, at least on paper, it does. Of course, the same. There, there's been, 
you know, the same like six or seven teams have won the Super Bowl for the last 40 years. You know, right. something crazy. Um, but I think that the, the money aspect is, is the biggest change that I've seen. Uh, you know, because now everybody's got this dream of, of making all this money. So you have all of these people that are like, okay, I'll facilitate your dream if you pay me $75 an hour to train you. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm going to build this gym and, and trust me, there's a couple of guys in Louisville that I love to death that do this and they do amazing work. Like they do incredible work. I'm not, this is not a knock on them, but there's plenty of people that charge 50 to $75 an hour to work kids out. And it's like, they just do the dumbest shit that I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And I'm like, you're not getting any better. Yeah. You know? So I I just think that the money aspect of it and, and, you know, if you're, if, if I'm paying $75 for little Johnny to get training twice, twice a week, $75 an hour, $150 a week turns into, I mean, that's a fucking mortgage, $600 a month. Yeah. You know, little Johnny better go to the NBA. <laughs> right. I'm going to put $600 a month into it. Exactly. You know, and, and then we don't talk about how much money these parents put into AAU programs and paying to travel. And I mean, it's, it's that that's, that's the biggest change for me is the money. I mean, I had, I went and watched a couple of my players back in the summer of 2019 because the summer of 2020 didn't happen. Um, right. <laughs> Uh, back in 2019, I, w- I went out to Lexington and I watched a couple of my kids play in against a team from Indianapolis, I think it was. And they beat this team like 82 to, to 35 or something. It was something stupid. Uh, but I remember sitting up in the stands and the parents from the team from Indianapolis were like, this is the same shit we went, we went to Atlanta and watched last weekend. And I was like, just kind of taken aback for a minute. And when I left, I called my wife and I said, I'm telling you right now, if Jackson sucks at basketball, I'm not fucking driving to Atlanta to watch him play. (laughs) Like like I I can drive to basketball Academy (laughs) to watch him play and get his ass beat in Louisville. I don't have to drive all the way to Atlanta and pay for a hotel room to watch that. Yeah. and that's and that's the part of it that that has really just changed everything. It just changes the whole landscape because it's like I'm paying all this money, and you know, and and people think that putting all that money into it's just going to turn my son into you know ne- you know the next LeBron or Kobe or whoever. Yeah, um, and that's just not realistic. Right. Yeah, I remember back when I was playing baseball uh, when I was like. Uh, I was a little league, you know, nine, 10, <clears throat> and I paid 65 bucks to play for a whole season. You know, that covered my, my field fees and my uniform that I did give back. Um, and th- I had to buy cleats and a bat and a glove, you know? So realistically I'm out like 300 bucks, you know, and now you're saying these people are paying $75 an hour for their kid, you know? And then at some point somebody's got to say, I think there's not enough realists in the world. You know, there's a lot of, there's not. you know, and yep. nobody wants to be honest with you. You know, I've right. You know, if you have a kid that comes to you and you're watching them play and 
you're not trying. And, and there's a difference between being mean and being real. And I, I think yeah. people want to convolute the two. You know, if you're being yeah. real, you know, this kid, the kid's uh, four foot seven and <laughs> can't handle the ball, you know, right. and you're just like, well, maybe this isn't your sport. Maybe soccer. Yeah. Something and like that, that, and that's where the money comes in because, you know, hell yeah, I'm going to tell you, you're, I, I can turn your son into a division one player. You're paying me $75 an hour twice mm-hmm. a week. Of course, I'm going to say that. Yeah. You know, and, and once you've paid me my $75, it, you know, and, and your son doesn't make it, sorry, but thanks for the money. Right. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> well, you were telling me before we started the podcast, you hadn't told me this story. You didn't tell me this the last time. And I thought it was really interesting as to the trajectory that you were and the path that you were on before you got into coaching. Uh, I was telling, um, I was telling Kevin a story about it. Um, a, popular Louisville columnist named Rick Bozich uh, had come out to one of the schools I was at before. They have a, a sports literacy program out at Fern Creek uh, with Miss Jones. Uh, I got to give her a shout out because the program's awesome and the kids were really digging it. Uh, and Rick Bozich was awesome. The kids, he won them over when he started talking about meeting Kobe for three or four times and going to the NBA finals. And the kids were like, who's this guy who writes for the newspaper to, Oh dog, did you meet so-and-so? Did you meet so-and-so? And he's just giving them a thousand stories. And it was really cool. And then Kevin blows off with some, Oh, that was what I was going to do. So I wanted him to share that. Yeah. So when I was in high school and, and, and this would kind of be a good segue into um, talking about somebody that, that was near and dear that just lost his life. Um, but when I was in high school, my senior year, um, I had a senior seminar teacher and was also my AP English teacher. And I did not want no part of AP English. I was like, I don't like to read. I don't like to write. I don't like this. I don't like that. So I applied for a schedule change. And back then, if you wanted a schedule change, it wasn't up to you, the child. It was up to the teacher, the adult. Right. Weird. So, I know. Right. So she denied my schedule change. So I remember like storming into her room after school one day. And I was like, what gives like, you're not going to let me, let me go to honors. And she's like, look, she's like, give me till Christmas break. She's like, if you hate me by the, by Christmas break, you can switch out. And I was like, all right, I'll hate you by then. No problem. <laughs> and I absolutely loved her class. I had, and that was back when you had to do a portfolio. So, so she's like, she's like, I think you're a good writer. She's like, so what I want you to do is I want you to start writing about something that you like. What do you like? And I was like, well, I fucking love sports. And she's like, okay. So, so here's what I want you to do. She said, go to the football game Friday, write down some cool things that happened and write a story about it. I was like, all right, I can do that. So go to the football game and like, I've, I've got this little spiral notebook and one of the APs sees me and he's like, why are you writing in that notebook? I was like, it's all I got. Um, so the next, the next Monday comes around and I'm going to class to write the story. And the AP calls me to his office and he had went out and bought what's called a moleskin I don't know if you've ever seen a moleskin notebook. They're nice. Yeah, I love them. Yeah. He's like, he's like, this is the best notebook you can ever buy. Guard it with your life. And he gave it to me as a gift. And I still have it. It's on this bookshelf right here. I still have it to this day. 
uh, of my like scribbly notes that made it through rainstorms and snowstorms <laughs> and all right. kinds of stuff outside writing at football games. So, so anyway, so all of a sudden I'm like a writer now and I'm actually enjoying doing it. So to try to make a long story short, I start writing for the school website, which I created and began running and is probably dead in, in the depths of internet hell at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was a but, geo site. Yeah. It was one of those. <laughs> so, so anyway, so I'm writing like every Friday and I, I like finally worked up enough nerve to talk to the football coach on Monday. Like this was probably four or five weeks into the season. So I go into his room. This is on his planning period. And I'm like, sir, like, I'm just like this quiet little kid. And I'm like, sir, would you, uh, would you care if I like ask you a few questions? And he was like, no, come on in. You know, just like nice as could be smile on his face, everything. So I introduced myself and he's like, I know who you are. Um, and, and his name was Ty Scroggins. Uh, and, and I like interviewed him, talked to him about the game and, you know, I thanked him for his time. And he says, he says, Kevin, he says, it's not a problem. Anytime you want to talk, you let me know. And I will always make time. Have a good day. And that like moment has like, it's always stayed with me. Um, and unfortunately, um, Ty lost his life, you know, as, as you know, over the weekend, uh, from COVID-19 compliment complications. Um, and like, if you coach anything in Louisville, you know who he is and you've probably met him at some point. Um, you know, he, he, he went to the following year of that, after that story, he went to, uh, he went to central and ended up winning five state championships while he was there. Um, and then when his son got into high school, his son, uh, enrolled at the sales, um, and he retired and, is was like an assistant coach at the sale kind of a volunteer assistant coach just so he could be on the sidelines watch his son play um and his son was a senior this year his daughter's a senior at prp and plays girls basketball um so it was just kind of a real like kind of shock to the community um when when we, we you know we all kind of found out and the news started spreading um so it was really it was a really tough time um but, you know, if, if it weren't for him, you know, I'd have never had the nerve to to ever, like, walk up to any of these people that I ended up interviewing once I started getting into college. Like, I'd, I'd have been terrified out of my mind. But, you know, I'm like, look, if I can fucking interview a state championship football coach, I can interview any of these any of these people. Um, so I ended up um, I ended up you know, as you know, I was the basketball manager and like, I got really involved in school because of, because of him and because of my English teacher. Uh, and I ended up loving DOS by the time I left, like I wanted to do everything for DOS and loved the school. And that's kind of the reason that I'm back as a teacher and a coach. Um, but to, to, uh, to kind of close it out with, with what you were talking about before, what we were talking about before the podcast. Um, so I went to Western Kentucky and was a journalism major. And, you know, I started writing for like small magazines and stuff. But when I came home, I started writing for this place called Blog Red Machine. And um, what they wanted me to do was once a week, I would write a little column that was basically a recap of what had happened with the Louisville Bats, which is the AAA team in Louisville. 
Um, and I got so good at doing that and I was getting such a good response that they wanted me to start interviewing players. So, um, you know, I started interviewing guys like in, in the, I just walk up to them in the parking lot after a game, like, yo, I've right for this, right for this blog site. Care to talk to me for a couple minutes. And they, I mean, they were the coolest people on earth. They all, they'd always talk to me. Um, but they, the, the media relations person, sent me an email. It's like, yo, you can't really like just walk up to people on the street. Like that's not okay. <laughs> You're lucky to get tased or pepper yeah. sprayed. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I responded I was like, all right, that's cool. Like, but can I still interview them? And they were like, oh yeah, we'll give you a press pass and, you know, tell us what games you want to come to, who you want to talk to and all that good stuff. So I was like, all right. So I've got my khakis on and, and my DOS basketball polo. Cause that was the only polo that I owned at the time. <laughs> and I go to interview the manager of the bats who was Rick sweet at the time. And he was like, he's like Doss high school, huh? And I was like, yeah, he's like, I like that name because all these other fucking high schools in Louisville are named after a direction. And I just kind of laughed. It's like, it's like, we got Eastern Eastern. and we've got Southern (laughs) and Western. He's like, at least yours is named after somebody. (laughs) Um, So like, you know, and that, that was kind of my, baptism by fire um and later that year well not later that year but later the next year um i got to go to kind of like a media thing and bozich was there and eric crawford was there like all all these like media giants from louisville are there and i'm just yeah and i'm just like they're like oh my god like all of these dudes that i look up to are like standing right here and they were the nicest people you'd ever met in your life like I'd walk up to them and they'd talk to me, you know, hand me their little business card. If you need anything, let me know. Um, and then the pitching coach of the bats like walks up to me and he's like, won't you walk over here? You want to interview me? Don't you? And I was like, yeah, sure. So we're like, literally like, this is like the coolest moment of my life as, as a journalist. Like he, we walk up to the batting cage and we're literally just like landing on the batting cage, watching batting practice. And I'm talking to one of the best pitchers ever pitched for the Reds. And I'm just like, Hey, it's me and Ted power, just chilling, hanging out, you know? Um, and then, you know, later that, later that season, um, Joey Votto, who was a all-star first baseman for the Reds, you know, had one MVP and all that stuff. Um, he rehabbed, um, with the bats up in Columbus. So I drove up there to watch him play. And the editor at blog red machine was like, yo, you should try to interview him. And I was like, yeah, it ain't going to happen. I was like, but I'll try. So I emailed (laughs) the, the media relations person with the Clippers up in Columbus. And he was like, yeah, man, no problem. Um, he's like, you'll just, you know, you'll have to go down there and and get him yourself because we don't really deal with the visiting team. I was like, okay. So, the manager of the bats at that time was David Bell, who is now the manager for the Reds. And I actually knew him pretty well from being in Louisville all the time. And I just kind of walked in his office and was like, Hey man, is there any chance at all that I could interview Votto? And he was like, he was like, I don't have a problem with it. And he was like, but you're going to have to convince him because he's really nervous around media. And I'm like, I'm 21 years old in college. Like, Who's <laughs> nervous here? <laughs> So, so like I grabbed Votto as he was going out for a heading session and I was like, I just like, like five minutes of your time. 
And he like got all nervous and all shy and shit. And I'm like, and I said, and I said to this man, I'm like, dude, you're an a, you're National League MVP. I'm some I'm some nobody. Like, chill out. <laughs> and, and like, if you, if, I think the interview is still on my YouTube page. I'll have to send it to you. But you can like, you can hear in his voice that he's actually nervous talking to me. And and you can hear in my voice that I'm like, holy shit, this is Joey Votto. <laughs> yeah. But, You're starstruck. I mean, He's freaked yeah. out. Yeah, th- but those were those were some good times, man. When I when I was doing that, it was fun. But I just I just liked coaching basketball more, and I liked being around. I liked being around the game, and I liked being around the kids. And you know, I I think I've made the right decision because I mean I've been pretty successful at it. So, well, that's a perfect segue into me coming back to one of the things you shared last time. Uh, that I really love to hear about. Um, share with the people your most memorable moment as a coach. Um, so, so far, my most memorable moment um, has been winning the region, winning the sixth region championship in 2015. Um, and I won it when I was at DOS. And I won it with a group of seniors. It was the first group of seniors that I had been with for four years. Um, and, and it was kind of like a culminating event. Um, and when that group of seniors were freshmen, I was their freshman coach. And, you know, the first day of practice, when I met everybody, um, I just kind of looked at, like, I already knew a few of them, but I just kind of like, after practice, I just grabbed them, put them in a huddle. And I literally like, like it was some fucking movie. I pointed up to the banner that had our regional championships on it. We hadn't won one since 1987. And I said, you know, if you all, I pretty much gave them the speech. Like if you all stick together and you play for each other and you do everything that I ask you to do in 2015, that, that number is going to be on that banner. And they were like, you know, we got you. That's what we're here to do, whatever. Um, So 2015 rolls around we've got a new head coach and I you know I decided to stay on I was actually offered another head coaching job um but I decided to stay because of what I had told them I was like look I'm like you know four years ago I told these kids that if they listened to everything that I did in 2015 we'd be hanging a banner like I'm gonna see that through um so I turned down a head coaching job to stay with them and we actually ended up we ended up getting there Um, and I'll never forget, um, I thought I would like run out on the court like Jim Valvano did after the 83 (laughs) championship. Um, like I thought I would be like that excited. And I just remember like the, the buzzer went off and I just like, kind of, I, I didn't move. Like I just stood there on the bench and I watched the kids run out on the court and they were hugging each other and, jumping up and down and all that stuff. And like, I just, I just stood there and just watched them. And like that, and in that moment, it was like just this satisfaction that like you set out to do something four years ago as 14 year old kids. And now here you are, you know, 18 years old, young men, and you accomplish what you set out to do. Um, and, And that was like, Like that was the most powerful moment for me, especially, you know, I'm five, six years into coaching at that point. You know, I, I, for the most part, I still didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but 
you know, to kind of kind of get that, you know, from from that first freshman practice where I'm like, like I said, like in the movie, like pointing up at the banner, like we're going to put another we're going to put another one up there for, for that to actually happen. Um, I don't like to say I was in shock, but maybe I was a little bit. Um, but to just kind of see the joy on their faces like that was that was the most memorable thing for me. You know, it, and the team picture is up in the gym. They, they actually painted it on the wall in the gym and it's up in there. It's up there in the gym. And you can see me. If you look really, really close, I'm like all the way back in the back because I didn't want to be in the picture. I'm like, look, all I did was coach these kids. I didn't like, I didn't score a fucking point. I didn't take a charge. I didn't get a rebound. Like I didn't do anything like they did this, you know? So you have very Um, much a coach Calipari Calipari uh, mindset. He's very much the same way. I've always respected him about that. Um, Disagree with the man or not. I believe every (laughs) decision he makes is for the betterment of his kids. Yeah. And and that, and that's how I've always coached, Um, you know, and that's the only way that I know how to do it. Um, You know, but that was, that was the most memorable moment for me. And I would say the second most memorable moment is when uh, you you get to Rupp Arena, and um, when we went the first time, and I and I learned this trick from uh, Chris Renner, who was at Ballard. Uh, he said, if you go for the first time with with a group of kids for the first time, it's like go when you're not playing and go to the players' entrance. It's like because you're not supposed to, but they'll let you in. And then so we did that. So we listened to him. So we pull up and they're like, you're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to be here. And we're like, oh fuck, we didn't know. And they're like, that's okay. Park your bus over here and go in through that door. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, okay. So we get up, we get off the bus and we walk in. And when you when you walk into this entrance, you go through the security and like walk, like like loop back around, make an S, and then you walk out onto the court. And you just look up and there's all the lights and all the people. You got to understand, like, this is the Sweet 16 in Kentucky. Like, this is a big deal. There's 8,500 people to to 15,000 people in there on a given night. You know, this is a huge fucking deal. And I just remember, like, following the kids, and they're all, like, got their phones out recording themselves walking in. And, like, just the joy on their faces to know, like, we're going to get to play on this court tonight. Like, yeah, it's it's just a special feeling, man. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to go twice. So. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's Hopefully I loved it when you shared that time. moment. Yeah, I was like, he's got to redo that. I mean, if he doesn't recapture that that magic, oh, I, I love talking about that moment too. <laughs> that's that's my that's my favorite one, man. That's that's it. Well, is there anything you want to share in the closing? I think we've covered everything. I really wanted you to come back to. Uh, no, man, I think, I think it pretty much does it. Um, you know, it's just, I I hope that, that people like the, the kind of the moral of my story is that, um, kind of like that Stephen A. Smith video that, that I sent you that day. And it's like, you know, not everybody, by the way, and and I ended up really liking the video. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, but, but basically like, you know, not everybody. And when I first started coaching, I set out to like fucking BJ Wright, 
Like I wanted to be the best dressed, the best, the best coach in the country. I was going to go coach in college, all this stuff. And, you know, I finally had, I, I coached with a guy named Casey Gooden, who I mentioned earlier. And he just kind of called me in the office one day. and was like, look, he's like, if you want to coach in college, that's up to you. He's like, but I can promise you, you'll make more money teaching. He was like, and at the end of the day, what do you want? And, you know, I was about to get married at the time and we were planning a family and all that stuff. And I was like, well, of course I want money. And he was like, well, you better go get your teaching degree then. Um, and then he in cahoots with the AP that I was working with at Shawnee. Um, she, she called me into the office the next day into her office and she handed me a computer and she was like, you can't leave until you're signed up for classes. And I was like, okay. And that was, that was like kind of the tipping point for me to become a teacher. And they really saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. You know, I didn't think I'd like teaching and I absolutely love it. Like it's, it's, it's a fantastic job. Um, you know, I, I love what I do. You know, there, there's, there's moments that I hate it just like anybody's job. Yeah. Um, but you know, to, to see the, the light bulb go off in the classroom when you've been struggling for so long or, you know, to, to see a kid smile when they finally figure it out or, you know, to see a kid thrive because you're doing some kind of project that they really love. Like that's what you live for as a teacher. And, and to be honest, like that's kind of what I live for as a coach is yeah. to kind of see that, that celebration, like, all right, we did this big project and at the end of the year we accomplished it. Um, you know, so, so to, to kind of tie it all together, like, you know, not everybody's going to be Calipari. You know, not everybody's going to be uh, Billy Donovan and Jay Wright and Izzo and Shashevsky and, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but anybody can be me. You know, any, anybody can be an ECE teacher that, that coaches basketball and does it the right way and, you know, pushes their kids to be the best that they can be and holds them accountable to their grades and, and provides them an opportunity to get a free education. Anybody can do that. Um, you know, it obviously takes some hard work, some dedication, um, and, and some sacrifice from, from your family, you know, God bless my wife. I don't know how she does it, you know, year in and year out as, as much as I'm gone. Um, but you know, and, and to me, like for people that know you, it's yeah. a blessing that you're on that much. But, but I mean, just like the, the lesson that I've learned and the lesson that I try to teach people that, that I come in contact with is that this isn't really about me. You know, this, this is about my kids and this is about making them successful. And, you know, I, I have learned that, you know, winning is a byproduct of doing things the right way. You know, win, winning isn't a byproduct of just having the best players. Winning is a byproduct of showing up every day and putting in the work that you know you have to do in order to be successful. And if you and if you do that work, then you'll be a winner. You know, and, and that and that was a hard lesson that I had to learn, you know, th throughout the course of my journey. But it's a lesson that I'm very happy that I have learned and very happy to share with people. And I'm and I'm very thankful that you've given me this platform to talk about it. Dude, it was my absolute pleasure. And that's a fantastic way to end this. Kevin, I appreciate your time, man. I, I think I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I tell you that all the time because 
I know how valuable it is to feel appreciated and to know that somebody's seeing you don't do it for that, but it is fucking nice to hear it sometimes, you know? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I always try to make sure that I praise you. Cause I really think that the kids are benefiting from you being around and uh, yeah, man, it was a great chat. Yes, sir. Anytime. Appreciate it.